Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would please open your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This is God's Word. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Eight hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it four hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy an inspired word. This actually is a controversial passage. This is one that if you read the commentaries, scholars are like, well, you know, um, I, 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 I get this part and I get this part, but I'm not sure about some of the stuff that Jesus says there. One thing in particular, and that is when he says, use worldly wealth 
to, get, to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What? Well, let's talk about that in the context of the passage. First of all, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, there are other folks listening. The Pharisees are listening in. But Jesus' focus for his message is to his disciples. And again, he tells them a parable. He's told them previously that the reason I speak in parables, to a great extent, is so that most folks won't get it. It's easy to misunderstand, especially if God the Holy Spirit does not live in you. But Jesus speaks to them in a parable, and he says there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Jesus doesn't say that he did waste the, man, the owner's possessions. He was accused of wasting his possessions. So the owner, the rich man, called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Now, Jesus doesn't say whether the guy was guilty or whether the guy was being falsely accused. But on the basis of accusation, he's being fired. And so he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. I can't do manual labor. I'm not cut out for that. And my alternative, it seems, is begging. And I don't want to end up as a beggar. I'm too proud for that. I know what I'll do. When he calls these folks in, the two examples given, one is a man who owes a bunch of olive oil. He hasn't paid for it. It was gotten on credit. And the amount he owes is about three years' wages for a day laborer. Well, we don't know that the man was a day laborer, and I'm just going off the basis of what commentary says. But he owed a lot. Three years' wages. The next guy who owed the wheat, that was eight to ten years of wages for a day laborer. So both of these guys had significant debts, and what this guy did for him, for each one, is to reduce how much they owed. He says, take your bill and change the amount on it. He didn't change the amount on it himself. He told them what to do. But he's going to accept that. So that when the owner takes over, those people don't owe as much. Well, if you're the owner, what would you do? What would you say? If you found out, and this guy did find out. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Does that, does that seem right? Well, there are a number of explanations that are suggested for this. One is that because the Jews were not allowed to charge their fellow Jews interest, they would sometimes just inflate the price so that what the person owed was more than they had received, but legally... They weren't being charged interest. And so, conceivably, 
all he was doing was basically deflating the artificially inflated amount that these guys owed. That's possible, and it would make all of us feel better if that's what was being commended. But we don't know that. That's speculation. What we do know is that Jesus says this. He was commended by the owner for being shrewd, for being smart, for using his position while he had the opportunity in order to gain an advantage in the future. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you may be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus is clearly not saying you can buy your way into heaven. Is he saying that when you get to heaven, you're going to need a place to stay? Why does he use the word eternal dwellings there? If he had just said so that people will take care of you if you fall on hard times. But that's not what he says. Well, I would have no clue what Jesus was talking about were it not for the fact that Jesus immediately follows it up with this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so Jesus, what you're saying is that being trustworthy in financial matters, matters. And that being trustworthy when you are given the care of something that belongs to someone else is important. Well, what if it's just a little thing? Jesus said, if you are not trustworthy with the small stuff, you're not going to be trustworthy with the big stuff. Imagine a person who is scheduled to be in a big race, and they're driving their car that they're going to race in around town, and it's going... They say, man, what are you doing? Well, it's not very good for around town, but I believe when the day of the race comes, it'll, it'll do what it needs to do. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? A lot of people think they can get away with little sins, just small stuff, not a big deal. You know, I mean, if, if anything really big comes along, then I'd do the right thing. No, you won't. No, you won't. When the stakes are higher, it's going to be harder. Jesus says, if you are not faithful, trustworthy, dependable in the small stuff, you're not going to be dependable in the big stuff. You're not going to be trustworthy in the big stuff. 
All of you have areas of responsibility. Well, no, I don't. No, everybody tells me what to do. It's, well, how are you doing with the things you've been told to do? Well, I don't see why I should have to. Okay. If you're unfaithful in the small stuff, if you can't be depended on in the small stuff, you are not going to be dependable with the big stuff. And if you are not faithful in looking after what belongs to somebody else, well, why should I wash it? It's not my bicycle. Well, why should I have to do this? It's not mine. Why should I have to pick that up? I didn't drop it. I don't own this place. If you're not faithful with the small stuff, you won't be faithful with the big stuff. If you're not faithful with something that belongs to someone else, but has been entrusted to you, you're not going to be trusted to have that which is your own. Jesus talks about how we handle money being indicative of how we're going to do with spiritual, eternal matters. If you think it doesn't matter, you can do whatever you want. No consequence. You're totally forgetting the fact that all of us are going to answer to God for what we do with our time for what we do with our opportunities, for what we do with our talents. Are you seeking to use what God has entrusted to you for His glory? Because ultimately, folks, it all belongs to Him. Everything we have, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, I, I thought uh, one day in seven belongs to the Lord. No! One day in seven especially reminds us that every day is the Lord's day. Everything you have came from God. You didn't make yourself. Well, I made something of myself. Well, good for you. But sadly, that attitude can creep back in and we start to think, this part belongs to God, this part is mine. God says no. It all belongs to God. And that's why he says, no one can serve two masters. Much less ten. No one can serve two masters. Either he's going to be devoted to this one and despise this one, or he's going to cling to this one and hate that one. You go one way or the other. No one, Jesus says, can serve God and money. And the Pharisees, hearing that, didn't say, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Instead, they were sneering at Jesus. And so Jesus responds to them because he knows exactly what's going on. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men. In the eyes of men. Remember what he said up above? Jesus said that in the eyes of the world, what the manager did was shrewd. It wasn't trustworthy. It was clever. Oh, he said, you're the one who, justifies your, who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. 
What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So, in the eyes of the world, that manager was clever. He was shrewd. He was smart. Ooh, that was, that was clever, man. He, he knew what to do. The owner, another worldly person, said, uh, you got me. <laughs> that was clever. That was pretty shrewd. That's what the world values. Jesus says, what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. What are you doing with what God has entrusted to you? What are you doing knowing that you're going to answer to Him? Are you valuing money more than people? Are you willing to hurt someone or lie to someone or deceive someone in order to try and get ahead? Would you lie to avoid punishment? Doesn't help you out. No one can serve two masters. Are you trustworthy? Notice how many times Jesus says trustworthy. Verse 10, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Does God value money or trustworthiness? Money is one of the areas that will show whether or not we're trustworthy. How are you doing? If you knew that you could take advantage of somebody financially to benefit yourself, would it be worth it? I had the opportunity 25 years ago, probably 25 years ago, to buy a piece of property that had some very rundown mobile homes on it. And the nice thing was that the cost, they were all rented. The cost of the property was such that the rent from those mobile homes would cover the mortgage. But I went over and looked at the property and looked at the mobile homes, and I realized the only people who would live in those mobile homes are people who are impoverished and desperate and don't have any options. Well, somebody's going to be making money off them. I thought, I can't do that. I can't enrich myself by exploiting poor people. I couldn't do it. I didn't do it because I couldn't justify in God's sight being the guy who gets rich off of someone else's poverty. So, Pastor Wood, does that, uh, does that impact uh, then your uh, shopping, for instance? Uh, do you make sure that you only buy from local farmers and so forth and so on? No, uh, sadly, 
I can't keep track of all that. But when I'm confronted with a situation where I know that in order to gain advantage for myself, I'm going to have to take advantage of someone else. I can't do that. I can't sell somebody something that's about to break, hoping that it lasts long enough for them to get it out of the driveway. Why? Everybody else does it. Other folks do that all the time. I was asked, we sold one of our cars. It was an excellent car in very good shape. And on the back, you have to record who you sell it to and how much they paid for it. And the guy asked me to please put a lesser amount so that, he said, I'm willing to pay your price, but, but I need for you to put a lesser amount there so that the tax on it will be less when I go to get a, a new title. I said, I can't do that. He said, why not? And I said, because it wouldn't be true. And he said, oh, well, everybody does it. I don't doubt that lots of people do it, but it's a lie. Well, you're, you're not cheating the customer. You're just taking a little bit away from the government. I can't do that. He said, well, I'll be the one going and paying. I said, I can't do that. I have to sign this saying how much you paid for the vehicle. And he said, well, then maybe I won't buy the vehicle. I said, okay, bye. He bought the vehicle. I put the right price on it. I signed my name. I don't know what happened after that. But I do know this. I can't lie in order to give somebody else a break. Jesus is not commending dishonesty. He's saying that's the world's system. But all of us are going to answer to God. And you can't serve God in money. And so you Pharisees, you need to understand that what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Jesus is going to go on in this chapter and deal with some more examples of that. But I want you to see, everybody is going to answer to God. What we do with what seems like the small stuff is the indicator of whether we can be trusted with more. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org. Folks, recently I've gotten quite a few phone calls from people around the country who are struggling with uh, uncertainty, anxiety, wondering how to live in these current times with the things that are happening nationally and internationally, politically and economically, uh, health-wise, all kinds of things that are causing people to be anxious. And in answering those questions and trying to provide biblical counsel, I've often gone back to things that I wrote several years ago in a book that a number of people have found a great help. And so I want to offer that book right now to you at a discounted price. If you go on our website, you'll find that the price on Living Well in Babylon has been marked down to $10. 
That is a limited time offer. As you know, if you listen to this program regularly, we don't do a lot of merchandising. We don't sell things on this show. But I do want to make this book available to you. So we've lowered the price to $10. And if you'd like to get a copy, details will follow in a moment as to how you can do so. But Living Well in Babylon is simply 10 lessons from the book of Daniel that offer encouragement to believers about how to serve the Lord in a country that is hostile to God. What do you do in order to be faithful to him when the government and the people around you are not? I hope that you'll consider getting Living Well in Babylon because I believe it'll bless you. To get your copy of Living Well in Babylon, visit our website at wvr.org and click on books or call us at 866-41-ABIDE. That's 866-412-2433.